Harmon. And I am Allie Horn. And this is That's What I Was Thinking. The podcast with the most vocal fry. (laughs) (laughs) That's a claim that I can definitely get behind. Well, as you know, full moon's been in Aquarius. This is our second full moon in Aquarius this year. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And just the full moon in general, you know, I definitely would say that I am... PMSing, mm-hmm. um, but I also got some really tragic news, mm. and I also have a dating plan, which we'll get into later. Yes, um, but this basically, this is all a way of saying a lot happening. Yeah, and all during the moon cycle. All during the moon cycle, which, all as we know, when it rains, it pours. Yeah, something I always think when I'm in the ocean is like, holy shit, the moon is controlling these tides and these tides are so strong Mm -hmm. and you know if these tides if the moon is pulling the whole fucking ocean back and forth all night long 24 hours a day you don't think it's pulling my my the 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 body of water that is my womb so i mean just just imagine the things it can do to our insides yeah the grav the gravity of our uh, neurons that aren't even like the mass of which are so minute. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, of course there's going to be a massive effect on. Anyways, this is not to excuse anything that I'm thinking or feeling, but just to provide context. To your, like, overall state of mind right now. Yeah. So last night, I'm thinking to myself, I'm back on wanting to get cool sculpting. Last night? Yes. Like, I'm, I, I literally felt and I don't know if it was like seeing pictures of myself on the trip uh-huh. you know because Michelle and I went on this camping trip and mm-hmm. Max finally you know showed us the pictures and there's just certain pictures where I'm just like oh my god I hate my body and it's so painful it's so painful it's okay. so painful to feel that and I literally was like so upset that I was feeling that way mm-hmm. because like I didn't care at all during the trip like, mm-hmm. the trip was so amazing and magical and, like, unadulterated joy. Not filtered through the ego whatsoever or through, like, the societal, the internalized male gaze that inhabits our minds and, and society and, and, the, and the hive consciousness, you know, of, like, who, what is fat, what is thin, what is pretty, what is, you yeah, know, you whatever. were just on the trip I being. Just on the trip being. And then I see these pictures and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm fat. And, you know, and I'm thinking back to like a year ago and like the other trip we went on and Mm -hmm. how different I looked. And I'm thinking like, oh, well, you know, I was still on Adderall then. And like, oh my God, will I never be able to like be happy in my body? Like not on Adderall basically. Mm -hmm. And like, will I always just suffer from this insecurity? You think Adderall has a lot to do with it because you were, like, able to not eat all day? Yeah, I definitely think I ate less as a result of Adderall five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I really was just like, damn, like, I mean, I moved through it. I mean, let me just describe the movement through it. I was like, I hate myself. (laughs) Instead of fighting what I felt, which I was like, this is actually creating more stress like so sorry this is last night you think I want cool sculpting I don't like my body and instead of fighting that I'm thinking I'm ugly Mm -hmm. and fat Mm -hmm. and the reason that I'm single Mm -hmm. (laughs) is because I'm not thin enough well obviously we can already disprove that right Yes, we know that's not true, but, oh, my God, like, to just say this is, like, so hard. I mean, it's just so hard for me to even find these words. Like, it's just so self-evident when it occurs in my body and my mind. Yeah. This message that has no words put into words is, like, the reason that I'm single is that, like, I am not thin enough. And that's absolutely insane. But so then I'm thinking, like, I will never be able to, like, lose weight 
in the way that I want, you know, in the way that this voice wants to mm-hmm. and maintain a healthy, happy life. Because mm-hmm. it's just impossible. Like, there's nothing that I can do to change, like, my body. Like, my body wants to be the shape and weight it is. Yeah, I mean, and the like voice in your head hard. has unreasonable standards. That's right. Like, the image in your head is not yes. the image of your body. It's the image of some other girl's retouched body that you see on Instagram or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. And also, I think it's, like, there's a physical aspect and there's a, a mental aspect, too. Because the body dysmorphia that we all have is, I mean, it's so apparent. Yeah. But it's, like, it's the body hate and the body judgment and then there's just, like, feeling good and healthy. And it comes and goes so quickly. hmm You know, like... And also what this all comes back to is, like, perfectionism. Yes. Which is a function of the ego. And when I'm, like, meditating and I'm, like, purely present and, like, aligned... Mm-hmm. I don't at all believe these things, you know? It really is insane. Like, that piece of fat that we have on our stomachs all women because we're women and we're like supposed to be childbearing and like these like powerful maternal beings like of course we have fat on our stomachs I remember in high school when I was probably 95 pounds looking in the mirror sideways every morning to evaluate the bump on my stomach how big is it today? Am I happy with how big it is today? Can I turn a certain way where it looks flatter? If I like bear down and like tighten up, like will that make it look, oh, and then when I'm happy, it's almost like, okay, you know the guitar tuning app that we use? And it's like you play the chord and it like gets closer to the center and then when it's tuned, it's like, ding, your guitar is tuned, like next, next note. I felt like I would do that every morning. I would look in the mirror until I was satisfied by judging and evaluating, bargaining with what I see. And then once I was satisfied, I could like start the day. And that's sickening. It is sickening. Because that hasn't gone away. It's not like I don't do that anymore. Right. I'm 27 years old. I still do that. Right. All the time. Right. And you're 100% muscle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not 100% muscle. And in my mind, you know, I mean, I just have the way worse perception of how I look. And because I'm constantly judging myself. And right. it is, it, it really is the constant striving for perfection. Right. Right. It's oppressive. It's extremely oppressive. And perfect in whose eyes? Right. The extremely critical asshole who's probably like a rapist (laughs) who lives inside me you know yeah like the 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 man that lives inside me who I would never date ever because he's so goddamn shallow and like a douchebag yeah totally and yet he's the voice that is always being like you don't oh my you know he's the first voice that that pipes up Mm -hmm. when I see myself yeah. Right. He's totally at that in the driver's seat. Yeah. When I look in the mirror. It's so tragic. It's tragic. Anyways. It is oppressive. It takes, yeah, and it takes a lot of mindfulness to, like, see past that. Because, like, I mean, I meditate every day. And still, like, one picture that I don't like of myself is enough for me to really be like, I would rather be dead then feel this way you know like no yeah I mean that's it's so crazy how like quickly it couldn't like this feeling of like I like nihilistic worthlessness can just consume I'll speak for myself me you know and I was like so then I'm like so your body, so you being unhappy with the way your body looks equals worthlessness. Yeah, equals like unhappiness 
and well to this to the you know to the catastrophizing perfectionist in me of like we'll never achieve perfection like we will never be as perfect as we could be Mm -hmm. and therefore you know and and like it starts to try and think of like every possible way that we could be right so then it's like what if you got plastic surgery so then I'm looking at cool sculpting which like I really it's just expensive and I just don't know if it works and like I read this woman's blog and she said like after doing it she honestly didn't see any difference and so then I'm like well oh my god now I actually have zero options you know like because mm-hmm. listen it's like I've worked out I've dieted I've done it all like it will never my body will never change the only thing that I can change is my acceptance around it yeah and sometimes it's really easy for me to accept that and love myself and sometimes it's really really hard and I just feel like very vulnerable and like not enough and you know and it's just interesting and the reason why this is, like, I thought context was important mm-hmm. is that I feel like when, I mean, one, I feel like it's it's obviously temporary. This this thought comes and goes. This yeah. feeling comes and goes. Um, but also, like, depending on what's going on in your life, or at least what's going on in my life at any given point, like, if I'm struggling to, like, emotionally cope with one thing, like I'll fixate on something else. What do you mean? Oh, like the terrible news you got this yeah. week. Yeah. You start fixating on your body, something that has nothing to do with it. Right. Literally. Cuz it just feels like cuz you need to place this negative energy. Yeah. I need to like funnel it into something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, but I think that this insecurity about your body comes up a lot. And maybe that's just, like, your default thing, that whenever something else is bothering you, you just put it there. Right, right. Because it's something that you can see really easily. Right. It's almost like, you know, like, autoimmune disorders, where it's, like, the immune system attacks itself. Uh Uh-huh. It's almost like a mental autoimmune disorder. It's like, I can't attack death. (laughs) You know, I can't fix the fact that, like, tragedy strikes and takes people we love Mm -hmm. but I can attack myself right (laughs) you know and like somehow like that feels more actionable and empowering even though it's destructive oh it's so destructive you know but that's better than just like resigning to like utter not that I think this consciously Mm -hmm. but it just seems like my mind does that well I actually think that this is great information because like now you know whenever you start to have these insane thoughts not insane I would never call you insane yeah yeah, I know. but like whenever you have these like unwarranted thoughts about your body that are self-deprecating and like hurtful you can then take that as a signal it's like something is bothering me you know something's bothering you um elsewhere in your life and like what is that and then that's your cue to like start writing about what's going on yeah because it's really just like a little red light for you to go oop there's something there's something I have to tackle right now and it's not my body right that's so so beautiful you think yeah thank you for saying that it's a red light it's a red light it's a good information for you it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with my body no that it it doesn't matter what it is you know whether whether it was your I don't know. It could be anything. Like, you could look at a lack of professional success, my relationships, my this. But you're looking at your body. That's your thing. That's your red light. Right. And it's like once we know our red lights, we can then take that as a cue um, to just, like, look at everything else that's going on. Right. And obviously writing about it is key. You're so right. Because you're beautiful, of course. And the reason why you're single is not because body it's because you've literally been in dating recovery for the last year and a half right which we'll get into but I also want to say yeah how fickle our thoughts are Mm -hmm. and I feel like you just really you're really pointing to that of just like this thought does not reflect truth yeah thoughts are changing all the time 
she's like try and, and she's like try not to focus on the thought that comes up but the feeling so when your therapist says think about the, you know have the thought come up and then focus on your feelings what will you say will you say things like I feel it in my stomach or will you say like I feel sad like what what do you say usually is it usually like a physical thing mm-hmm. I'd be like yeah I feel like a tightening in my stomach mm-hmm. um like a kicking and like a my throat gets tight my face feels hot yeah usually and sometimes I'm like judging myself for like almost like not having a diverse array of feelings but I think the fact of the matter is like a lot of our feelings happen at the core of our body <laughs> you know you're even judging yourself for like the that your feelings <laughs> aren't good enough I'm like I'm judging myself that my feelings aren't happening in my toes yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm always feeling in my fucking stomach yeah like, right she must be so yeah exactly she yeah. must be so I'm bored so of simple, hearing that my yeah. feelings are in the stomach <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on Allie right the, the fear that we're boring our therapist yes relatable <laughs> so relatable do you feel that sometimes Yes. Often? Um, no, because I feel like I'll, like, tell even a boring story in, like, a very animated way and, like, start to joke around, and she's usually laughing. Right. Do you feel (laughs) worried that you're entertaining your therapist? Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. Yeah. I feel like... Well, sometimes I feel like I need to fill the silence in therapy with words because, like, I'm paying $150 for these, like, 50 minutes. Like, I need to get my money's worth. Like, how can I ramble on? How can I make more problems so that she can solve them? And then, like, I'll start – I'll find myself, like, complaining about something in therapy that, like, isn't even a big deal at all. But it's just something I thought of because it's, like, something to say, you know? But still good info. But, yeah, I do find myself, like, really monitoring my performance in therapy. Mm, Yeah. I feel like you bring up a really good point about just silences Mm. and how uncomfortable people are with them. Yeah. Both, like, externally and internally. Right? Because we have, like, we can say words when we're with someone to fill up the silence, and we can also stop our inner monologue, which we don't. Right. right right like with meditation for example as yeah. like silence yeah right yeah i've been really trying to lean into the silence and lean into the discomfort and this actually is a great jumping off point because i've learned all of this through my recovery program yes slaa slaa which if you don't know is and you probably don't know but maybe you do sex and love addicts anonymous and there's definitely a lot of stigma around i think Mm -hmm. well because the first thing you think of when you hear sex and love addicts anonymous is she's a sex addict right she can't stop having sex with everybody right which is just so i mean some people i mean charlie sheen that's the only that's the only (laughs) news we see about slaa or like a sex addict and we think oh they're with hookers. They're, you know. But there are. That's not what it is. Thousands of people across the literal globe in SLAA who suffer from a real range of afflictions as it pertains to relationships. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, I mean, I would say every 12 step is about relationships. It's about your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, and your relationship with a higher power. And I'm not going to get all, like, preachy like or anything like that, but I want to destigmatize also, like, 12 steps in general. Mm-hmm. Like, there are so many. Everyone could benefit from them. I mean, truly. The, st- the stigma does prevent a lot of people from allowing themselves to take that step toward Mm -hmm. like healing Mm -hmm. I think it requires definitely like slowing down to even ask that question of ourselves especially Mm -hmm. if you are you have like an addictive nature Mm -hmm. because 
I'll speak for myself, like, as someone with an addictive nature that really manifested in, like, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Addictive only some of the time. Like, the addict brain has so many more characteristics to it than, you know, being dependent on a substance. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that substance is approval mm-hmm. of others. A lot of people, that substance is, like, love, like, quote-unquote relation, love, quote-unquote love slash relationships, you know, mm-hmm. making other people their substance, you know? Mm-hmm. For some people, it's food. For some people, it's spending. And I do also just want to say that there's, like, lots of programs that, like, people don't know about, like, Debtors Anonymous, mm-hmm. and that it sounds like, oh, I'm not in debt, you know? Uh, but, like, there are so many people in Debtors Anonymous who are not in debt. It's really, like, just about money. If you have money any... Management. Yeah, money. If you have trouble, like, there's Under Earners Anonymous, another money program. Like, mm-hmm. there are so many different types of programs. And talk about Al-Anon. Al-Anon. And that one I think is the most interesting. So interesting. I want to pull up the exact characteristics of being in Al-Anon um, so that, you know, I don't do it injustice. But um, it's like for people who aren't even addicts, but people who are often enabling addicts or taking on the psychological sort of compulsions um, and controlling nature of an addict without ever touching a substance. Yeah. So it's like you don't actually have to have a substance to suffer yeah. <laughs> from an addiction. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people are addicted to control. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all 12-step programs. Yes. What's, like, the structure that they all share? The 12 steps. Okay, the 12 steps. And, like, what about, like, sponsoring? Like, what's, like, a sponsor? Yeah, so a sponsor guides you through the steps. Mm-hmm. And, and a sponsor is just, like, someone, someone who's gone program. through the steps. All the steps. No, just enough of the steps to, like, get you started. And, yeah. and presumably, you know, there's – once you finish the 12 steps, you do them again. Like, your whole life, you just kind of – I mean, you don't have to. Yeah, but you could still continue to go to meetings. Yeah, or just be – you can just sponsor, you know. It's – anyways – there's no right or wrong way to do it, mm-hmm. but I will say what brought me to SLAA. Yes. So, I mean, what brought me to SLAA? I've heard it said in so many ways that are so concise. Mm-hmm. By yourself? No, by others. Oh. And I will say my own. <laughs> I will say my own, but I one thing that I heard recently that I really liked was like, um, a normal reaction to an abnormal childhood will bring you to a 12 step a normal reaction to an abnormal childhood and the flip of that is thinking i'm having an abnormal reaction to a normal childhood correct really make the realization that it is a normal reaction to an abnormal childhood. exactly and i would say most of us do not have normal childhoods especially like coming out of the baby boomer generation which was all about a bust. it was such a bust. A bust. <laughs> all about like repression and sucking it up and stiff upper lip and yeah, and like boys will be boys. up by your bootstraps. Yeah, which like newsflash, that's literally physically impossible. Yeah, and yeah, and like there's no there's no language for trauma. Mm-hmm. Therapy is not, um, you know, common. Divorce is not. You know, it's just like there's... So you think it's because of your parents? Yes. So I think your parents being emotionally unavailable for whatever reason, it Mm -hmm. could be because they are, you know... And and let's define what emotional availability is. Mm -hmm. Emotional availability is the ability to hold space for someone else's emotions mm-hmm. without making it about you. Oof. And I personally did not have um, two parents that could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or one. Or one. I mean, they were dysfunctional in their own unique ways, but... Um, Dysfunctional nonetheless. And, like, Mm -hmm. you will – or I learned to 
from a very young age that like I, it I have to learn to not have emotions because I don't know how I haven't been shown how to have emotions I haven't been showed how to self-soothe which mm-hmm. is a big part of it like if you don't have role models that are telling you and showing you how to process and soothe emotions which is as simple as like crying mm-hmm. and being allowed to cry being allowed to cry being told it's okay to cry mm-hmm. or um you know like just like allowing yourself to feel whatever is coming up and like not fix it mm-hmm. that's like the key like a lot of people want to fix their emotions mm-hmm. um like i shouldn't be this i shouldn't be sad i shouldn't be angry i you know and it's like no you can't decide what emotions you should and shouldn't have. You're, you you got to just allow yourself to feel them and, and you've got to allow them to get out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's through making art. It sounds like hippy dippy, but literally like you must move it and externalize it. Mm-hmm. So tears are like physical externalization yeah. of emotion. Art is a physical externalization of emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion is energy in motion. And so, you know, it's got to let it move. You got to let it move and you got to externalize it. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that's why you're an SLAA on a deeper level. Like you've learned that after the last year and a half of like a lot of work you've been doing. But what did it look like when you went to your first meeting and what was that reason? It must not have been all of this well thought out. Yes, totally. You know, stuff. Right. Great, great point. So, yeah, I mean, I was just what I thought was, like, a normal 20-something-year-old girl, like, who was constantly dating. And so I had I had a very serious relationship in high school that was very passionate and like toxic and um, and and it went on for years and years and years. And Mm -hmm. then finally he broke up with me. Thank God, because I would have literally annihilated myself for that person. Um, And then I spent a year alone. Oh, and this is an important thing that I want to say. Sex within Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous are also people who identify as anorexic, not in the food sense, but in the emotional sense of, like... So there are people in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous who are emotionally anorexic or sexually anorexic. So people who, like, are afraid to... Mm. You know, like, their their addiction manifests as, like, a... as an unhealthy avoidance. Um, but they're two sides of the same coin because at the end of the day, it's all intimacy avoidance. I don't want to be close to people. Mm-hmm. Sex addicts also don't want to be close to people because mm-hmm. it's like you can have sex without being intimate with someone if you use them as an object yeah. and you use yourself as an object. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the point is like, I'm going to use this because it feels good so that I don't have to feel what doesn't feel good. Yeah. So yeah, within my relationships, I would say like I definitely sexualized feelings of you know, anger, loneliness, guilt, you name it, you know, just like instead of feeling this emotion, like let's just have sex, you Mm -hmm. know, or, or just, I would lash out, you know, um, or be passive aggressive, just like unhealthy relationship behavior. Mm -hmm. And then I, so when that first relationship ended, I spent a year just waiting for that guy to come back. And I would say that was what I thought at the time was very like, Oh, honorable. Yeah. Honorable. Like I, spent a year on my own like how brave blah 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 but no like I was totally just being anorexic Mm. and waiting for him to come back and then when he didn't come back I just hopped into another four-year relationship yeah and that four-year relationship was very different than the one previously um because it was safe I it wasn't like we were fighting all the time yeah but I was never happy. Or I was never satisfied. Like, and were I you was, emotionally available in that relationship? Um, no. I would say I was 
so full of myself (laughs) that like I thought I was and I thought I was like enlightened and like you know telling my boyfriend like how like he could be better Mm -hmm. but like I had no ground to stand on in retrospect Mm -hmm. um and I was always looking elsewhere I was always trying to push for an open relationship Mm because I wanted more Mm-hmm. It's never enough, you mm-hmm. know, like, because for the ego, it's not like the ego is never satisfied, especially. And it's like it comes back to the perfectionism thing. Like I'm looking for someone to be my everything. Yeah. And believing one of the big characteristics of Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous is assigning magical qualities to others. Mm-hmm. And so and they say two sex and love addicts can smell each other from 50 miles away. <laughs> so like I would be at a cafe and someone would assign magical qualities to me based on whatever three, you know, observable facts they could see about me. You know, mm-hmm. like the way I looked, what I'm wearing, and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're interested in me. And yeah. I'm interested in them because they're interested in me. And yeah. I think, oh, my God, this person is going to save me. They're beautiful. They're handsome. They have this job. Like, we're going to be a power couple. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I'm going to move to where they live. And like, no, oh, wait, shit, I still have a boyfriend. What am I going to do? But I'm, like, in complete fantasy about this person that I just Mm -hmm. met. And do you feel like you were, like, searching for the drama that wasn't, um, like, you didn't have this, like, crazy, tumultuous, like, passionate, like, drama in this relationship like you did in the first one? Like, do you feel like you were searching for that energy? Um, maybe. Maybe. I think I was searching... I think that first relationship seen through rose-colored glasses Mm -hmm. made me think that, like, that person is the one. And, like, that's the kind of passionate relationship that will save me from wanting more. When ultimately no one can save me, no one person is going to save me from this cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so it all culminated when I broke up with my boyfriend. Um, and. Which was a very brave, strong thing that you did. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and it was something that I had been trying to do, I think, for a while. Mm hmm. I kept on pushing, like, the limits, pushing the boundary, like, being like, can we open up our relationship, you know, like, him saying no, me not respecting that, and being, like, giving him ultimatums, and being, like... Sign up for a dating app. Yeah, why don't you sign up for a dating app, too? I'm gonna do one, you know, and then... But also, when I would say, I think we should take, like, I was, I would say, I want to date other people, and he would say, this is just a phase. Yeah. And I would be like... Okay, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Like maybe this is love. Like no one else could love me this much to put up with me trying constantly to push them, you know, to open up the relationship. Like mm-hmm. I felt like I was so difficult to be with as a girlfriend that like this person must be the one because they can put up with me. Yeah. And not want to leave. But really that's just I found a perfectly codependent person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? A person who was equally afraid of losing me as I was of them. Yeah. So. So then it all culminated. You broke up with him. It all culminated. I broke up with him. Pandemic starts. um, And I start hooking up with my roommate. Mm -hmm. Who I thought was the one. (laughs) Which was so fast, too. So fast. Like, I feel like it started and ended all in one moment. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And yet it also felt like. I had, like, been in a crazy house for, like, 10 years by the time it was, like, I felt ravaged. I mean, it was probably, like, what, a month or something? Yeah. Of the pandemic. And, like, I feel like when you called me crying because he didn't want to be with you, I was like, wait, did he ever want to be with you? Like, when did this start? Like, I was so behind because it happened so fast. Well, because it was the pandemic. So it's, like, we literally lived as, like, a married couple. Right. 
you were only allowed to see, you, you know, your immediate it was, household. Yeah, it was truly like a reality show. Oh, my God. Like, what happens when you put two people in 400 square feet of space without access to anyone else yeah. for 30 days? And I can't take his inventory. I can't say, like, what his problems are. Yeah, it doesn't have any. You know, all I can say is that at a certain point, like, I was just getting really pissed off, like, with what he was doing, you know? And, Mm -hmm. like, I was asking for what I needed, and he was saying, like, I can't give you what you want. And it was really painful, really hurtful, because he told me, you know, be be vulnerable with me. You can be vulnerable with me. Like, he he was definitely giving me mixed signals and telling me, like, I only want you – and then I would say what I needed, and he was like, you're being needy. Oh, my God. And he would say, like, I thought you were a chill girl, which is, like, a whole <laughs> a whole other thing I could go on. Of just, like, having needs does not mean. Having a single emotion means I have no chill. Yeah, exactly. It's like, is that a fucking joke? Yeah, exactly. It's really, it was really gaslighty. But the finger points both ways. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I would just try and try and try and get him to see that, like, I was being reasonable, you know? And, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And, and then I was just getting, growing, like, more hurt, more angry. Yeah. He finally went and said, Allie, I think you're just mad at who I am. And I was, like, speechless. I was, like, I'm mad at who you are. Well, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I feel crazy because I am crazy for thinking that I can change who you are. If I don't like who you are, it's on me to leave and move on. But I just felt like, I think we both felt like we had been sold different Mm -hmm. ideas of who the other one was. And that comes back to the magical qualities. He assigned magical qualities to me that I could not live up to. Mm -hmm. And I assigned magical qualities to him that he could not live up to. That's right. And so what did I do? I downloaded a dating app. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and this is, you know, this, I would not say is, um, responsible. This was still, I mean, this was late pandemic, but you know, it was like the era. It was definitely still the pandemic and it was like the era in which, you know, People were going on dates, but, like, at parks. Yeah. Um, right. But. I remember this date. Yeah. And so I downloaded a dating. I downloaded Tinder. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm officially single. You know, I'm not in a relationship. I'm not in this shit. But, like, I was doing it, definitely. Sexualizing feelings of anger. Yeah. You know, sadness, loneliness. Like, not allowing myself to feel anything. Just going. Yeah. And swipe, swipe, swipe. Go on a date. Go on a, I went on a phone date, actually. But the phone date lasted five hours. Oh, my God. Literally started at 8 p.m. and ended at 2 in the morning. And then I would say goodbye. I think that's six hours. Thank you. Is it? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And then I had a second date with that guy on the phone. Same exact thing. Oh, my God. And we would just trauma bond, Mm. which if you don't know what trauma bonding is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's bonding over your trauma, which is a very quick way to attach to someone. Yeah. And um, trauma bonding on a first date is a a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, you've never even met this person in person. Right. And, like, we're talking about, you know, our parents, like, the, you know, fundamental wounds, shit like that. Which is, of course, you could talk just for six hours about that shit. Yeah. Um, And feel like this person's the one. Yeah. Totally. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I'm just doing this also to make my roommate jealous. So I'm, like, using people in a way that feels, you know, very shallow. And, I mean, using people is always shallow. Yeah. Um, but also, like, getting off on the validation yeah. that this guy wants me. And then eventually I, like, went to his house and um, slept with him and then felt super sick. 
like literally came home and threw up which also happened the first time that I had sex with my roommate Mm -hmm. and I really think that was like my higher self like being like you are not in alignment at all girl just like purging yeah out that like, like terrible action and feeling yeah like what you're doing to yourself is poison Ugh. and I really couldn't see it at the time and like no alcohol involved like straight up that's right no alcohol involved yeah you just have sex with this person and then you vomit I well I get nauseous and then I vomit yeah, yeah. my my body really communicates to me through nausea yeah um and then after that the next day i'm on the app and i'm swiping again and i'm thinking to myself what am i looking for like i'm just been swiping like what am i looking for and i really like can't come up with it yeah i'm like I, it just dawns on me that, like, I'm not looking for anyone on this app. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking to feel validated. I just want another person to want me. Mm-hmm. And that felt wrong. That felt like, okay, I should delete this app. And then when I thought to myself, I should delete this app, I was like, I'll delete it tomorrow. And I was like, this sounds like classic addict. Yeah. Speak. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start, yeah. you know. I'll Stop drinking tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Just one more. Just one yeah. more. I'll just finish the beer and then and then I'll get sober, you know. Right. Um, and I didn't know. I mean, like, I really didn't. I know one person in a 12 step at this time in my life. Yeah. I only knew one person who had. Decided. Was it SLAA? No. Who was in AA? Yeah. And so, like, there was no precedent for doing a 12 step. Yeah. But I literally thought to myself, like, I just sound like an addict. Like, in my mind, I wasn't even speaking out loud. It was my internal monologue that mm-hmm. sounded like an addict mm-hmm. of just, like, delete it tomorrow. And I was like, no, wait, that's crazy. So then it's I. So weird. It's like a flash of, like, of like understanding and then like back into the addiction it's like in and out yes yes and that's such a good way to describe like what it is and like how long you can spend like like once you realize that like god or whatever the universe was trying was speaking to you the whole time you look back and you realize like oh shit yeah it really was like the nausea the you know like these but like your addict is just as loud. Yeah. If you, you know, think of them as, like, different Also, characters. a lot of these actions, like, are seemingly, quote, normal. It's like, I'm 25 and I'm on a dating app. Of course I'm dating. I'm right, in my 20s. Right. Like, oh, I just went through a breakup. Like, of course it's normal to just, like, have a rebound. Like, we normalize a rebound. You know what right. I mean? It's so normal. It is so normalized. And, like, every rom-com. Like, yeah. the idea that at the end of 90 minutes, <laughs> these two people live happily ever after it's like we always end at like the kiss like you always end at like the beginning of what's to come and the implication is that you can fall in love Mm -hmm. from from a fantasy from a fantasy i mean two people that barely know each other can just lock eyes and know that's right yeah and that's a lie it's a lie i believe it's a lie it is a lie it's only, like, hindsight bias that makes us go, yeah, it was love at first sight. <laughs> right, and it's, like, love at like, first sight. I just sight. knew. What the fuck does that mean? Like, right, it's, like, okay. It's like, no, you didn't know. It just worked out. It worked out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, love at first sight? What does that even mean? Love? You can love someone at first time seeing them? No, that no, perpetuates right. normalizing fantasy. Right. And normalizing assigning magical qualities. Right. I was in love with a guy two years ago that – I had barely spoken to, but I'd like seen him around. Like we worked at the same, like um, volunteered at the same organization. Like he just seemed like, oh my God, he's volunteering. Like he's a leader. He must be. And then you just go into a spiral. Like he's so smart. Like he's my type. Like 
he's got this great family. Like you see him on social media. Like, oh my God, like I want this life. Like this, this man, he's my dream guy. I know he's the one. Right, right. Meanwhile, I've barely ever spoken to him and I'm in love with him, you know? Yeah. And then like I get to date him. Right. I like maneuver my way into dating him and we start dating and I'm thinking, oh fuck, this isn't what I thought. Hmm. This isn't what I thought he was. But like, but then like I meet his family and like then I meet his friends and like then it becomes my life and like this relationship becomes my life and it's like but I'm I don't even really like what I'm 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 who I'm with right but but all these magical qualities but he's a leader but he's gonna be such a great dad but he's like yeah he's gonna be such a great dad you know what I mean it's like that these thoughts like that was love at first sight that's what love at first sight is a fucking fantasy yes and then and a story you make up in your head yeah And, like, that's not to be disheartening. Like, that's to be hopeful. Like, you can go on a date with someone, you know, and be like, oh, maybe I'll get to know them. Like, I don't know right now. Oh, there was no spark. Well, I don't know. I don't really know, like, in terms of spark, like, as you always say, like, chemistry does not mean compatibility. Right. Like, compatibility takes time. Like, getting to know Chemistry is important. Chemistry is helpful. Yeah. But it's it's not enough. Right. And, yeah. So, I think... Love at first sight, definitely not not what you want. Yes, but anyway, continue. Oh no, thank you so much for that. Just to contextualize Anecdote. it. Yeah, exactly, and it's so normal. Mm-hmm. It's so normal, right? These behaviors that you were having, they were normal. Yeah, they're normalized by society. More people than not experience them. Seemingly. Yeah. So then, so then you you redownload the app after having sex with this guy that you were on the phone with a bunch, and then threw up, and then you redownload the app again. But then, did you end up deleting it? Yes, so I deleted it. Uh huh. And Googled. Love. Uh, what did I Google? Like, yeah, like love addiction. You Googled love addiction. Yeah. Or, like, I might have Googled love, sex, love, 12 step. Like, I was just like, is there an AA? Right, because you had a friend in this. AA. Yeah. And I didn't know about any other 12 step. well I guess I had heard of like Al-Anon but I didn't really know what it was yeah but I just knew like okay there's 12 steps out there maybe there's one for this I was like ugh, this is gonna be so weird like what if it's just a bunch of weirdos and losers <laughs> yeah and just some like weird like I don't know like you know like yeah. I just was not I was not excited for it. Of course not. And you don't know what it is. And then I, I find this, you know, website that talks about the characteristics and I read the twelve characteristics and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I You had all of them. Qualify for all twelve of those. And <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's just amazing. Like this is like come to Jesus moment. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to a meeting. I mean, it's a pandemic, so everything's virtual. Luckily, there were these virtual yeah. SLAA meetings. Which I think are, you know, I say this all the time. I think it's the most incredible thing. Yeah. It just completely lowers the barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Like, for you to walk, find a meeting, the time, take the subway to that meeting place walk in and be seen by all these people you don't know where do I go where's the room it's scary that's something that is hard to do but sign on to a zoom camera off oh muted, my god no name exactly. just enter a zoom I mean you've got it you couldn't be more anonymous yeah it's like truly just such low effort yeah and so I went to a meeting I was like I hate this oh you hated it the first meeting I went to it was just like I just didn't see myself in anybody. Mm. But I just knew that I had to keep trying, like, other meetings. Yeah. Um, so, like, I kept on trying, like, new meetings. You know, I went to a queer meeting that was on Thursdays that was, like, based in um, Los Angeles, even though I was in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to... A women's only meeting that was like every morning and and then I began to like hear my story told by other people Mm. and realize oh 
I'm not alone. Like, yeah. This is universal. And, like. And these people, they weren't weird. They weren't They scary. weren't They're just like me. I mean, there were people that are different from me, and there were people that are just like me. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I, re- I relate to all of them. Yeah. You know? A really great motto of the program, or unofficial motto of the program, is it's for those who want it, not for those who need it. Mm-hmm. There are so many people who fucking need it. Yeah. But it is not for them. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I you can't, you can't be, like, you're not, like, you're not going to pro- proselytize to people about, oh, you've got to do 12-step. you just oh got to join God, no, one. So <laughs> no, you don't do that. Like, those who are interested will I mean, unless there's, like, it. a legitimate intervention, like. Sure, sure, you know. sure. But th- at the end of the day, the intervention is to get that person to see that everyone cares about them mm-hmm. and that they should want it. They should want it for themselves. Yeah. You know, like, give it a shot. But it won't work unless mm-hmm. you want it. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not for everyone. It's definitely not for those who don't want it. Yeah. Um, but it's affected your life in such a beautifully positive way. Yes. And so now I have a dating plan. Yes. And... You know, dating plan is a really big part of SLEA. A a really important thing I need to say about SLEA as it differs from other 12 steps, especially, like, as it differs from, like, let's say Alcoholics Anonymous, is that the goal is not to refrain from drinking alcohol. You know, the the goal is not to refrain from being in relationships. Like I said, you know, that is being anorectic or anorexic. Um, right, but the point is not... The point is not to become dry and, like, right. To, it's celibate. Celibate. The point is to learn how to have thoughtful, healthy relationships with yourself, with others, romantic and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like, just literally, like, how to have relationships and how how to have boundaries and like Mm. take care of yourself and self-soothe and to give yourself all the things that you were not given as a child yeah you know all those tools so that you can literally emotionally mature and be an adult like Mm -hmm. there are so many people who are in their 30s 40s 50s 60s but like they are still children emotionally yeah and so there really is a difference between being a child emotionally you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and being an adult like I never thought that I could develop more because that was my arrogance I was just like I'm so smart yeah I'm the smartest I couldn't possibly learn how to be better yeah and now I'm like wow so dumb I was doing everything wrong Mm -hmm. I was trying to be the director, the lighting designer, the actor, you yeah. know, I just thought that I knew best about literally everything. Yeah. And therefore, like, I need to run the entire show. Yeah. And everyone else, if everyone would, yeah. And if everyone would just listen to me, <laughs> then life would be perfect, you know, which is just so delusional. Um, so, right. So a big part of the program is at a certain step developing a dating plan which yeah. you work on and it's exactly what it sounds like it's, it's exactly what it sounds like it's a written plan it is a written plan for dating and so i mean i, I read your dating plan yes and, and it's, me, it's amazing yeah give me how how you would explain what my dating plan is so this is what i saw from Alice's dating plan and this is just based off of my memory so i might be missing things but it was like the beginning is saying like why you're writing this dating plan like just reinforcing like the purpose for it Mm -hmm. and then you basically just like split it off into sections like dates one through three like things you can do like things you can't do like what are red flags what are things that are your bottom lines and bottom lines are things that you can't break like for example no sex between states one and three or four and six or six to ten unless you're in a committed relationship right for example right um so then you split it off you go dates one through three Dates four through six, dates six through ten, and then like ten plus slash committed monogamous relationship. Right. Right. And then, yeah, it's all these bullet points like under each section. Yeah. And it's like such a crazy thing to just like lay out like that because I feel like everyone's dating like with a blindfold on and their heads cut off and like 
not knowing what they should and shouldn't do and listening to these rules from like their friends who are also blind with right. their head cut off. No like, rules really. You know what I mean? And yeah, no rules. Nothing at all. written for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like a lot of the time when, when we date it's like we do things and then we regret them and then we say, Oh, I wish I hadn't done blah 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 And it's like this way you like are going into it with like all of these guidelines and like with all of this knowledge and like with a plan. Right. Really, it's a plan of, like, how am I going to show up in an honest way? Yeah. You know? And I think it's also asking yourself that question that you asked yourself 14 months ago, which was, what am I looking for? Yeah. Right. Is this it? Is this not it? Yeah. And also, like how you said, like, going on a date – and getting to know somebody, mm-hmm. you know, like realizing that you don't know someone. Yeah. And not being into someone just because they're into you. Right. that's really easy. Yeah. Knowing like what your red flags are, like knowing like, okay, I'm not going to rush this to keep it interesting. I'm not going to, you know, jump into bed on the third date because, you know, sex leads to attachment, mm-hmm. especially for me. And like you want something long term. You don't just want... Well, that's the thing. I don't know. One day at a time is another, right. like, big philosophy of the program. But could you go I'm into a dating plan like, and be like, I want to have a bunch of sex with... You know, I mean, I think about this, like, after going... Like, say, like, after some number of dates. Like, say I've been dating for, like, months and months. Um, maybe, like, say I start dating someone. Mm-hmm. And we're on, like, date six. And I really like them. And I want to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. But I don't actually want to be in a committed monogamous relationship. Yeah. That will be... <laughs> I don't think that will happen. But if it does, it's just something that I will, like, talk about with my sponsor mm-hmm. um, when the time comes. And, like, if I want to be, like, polyamorous, let's say. Yeah. That's not, like, off the lim- off the table. It's just, like, you... I want to do it... W- in the most emotionally mature adult way possible with yeah. someone who is emotionally mature and adult. Yeah. And not as a way to just like, oh, you know, constantly. I mean, and I don't, I just think it's a lot of work to be in a monogamous relationship, let alone a poly sort mm-hmm. of situation. I don't think I have the emotional energy mm-hmm. to be with more than one person. Yeah. But I was entertaining. I think honestly, my intimacy avoidance was like, coming up for me and I was thinking to myself I don't want to be in a relationship wait and when like a couple days ago when I was just like fantasizing about like going on a date with someone mm-hmm. and then like dating them and mm-hmm. then like what if they want to be in a relationship with me yeah. and then like my, this fear came up that like I'm going to be in another four-year relationship. Yeah. Well, that's that's why you have the dating plan. That's why I have the dating plan is one day at a time. I don't if have If you to follow worry. that dating plan, it's there's there's much less risk, less risk involved. Yeah. And your eyes are open and you've got a lot of support now. That's right. That's right. And if you want to know more about my dating plan, subscribe to our Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, subscribe to our Patreon for access to Allie's Allie's dating dating plan. (laughs) That's good. That's a good one. I think so, too. I had to pay monthly for that. Right? It's a resource. It really is. You can also make one yourself if you literally, for free, join SLAA and go through the steps. But if you just want to pay to see mine. And if you want Allie to be your sponsor... I'm Too not bad. taking on sponsees She's right now, but I do baby. have a sponsee, yeah, and she is so awesome. And I used to think that I would never want to sponsor anyone. I so I, much work, I, yeah, and like I just hate. I was so afraid of people. Yeah. I was so afraid of being vulnerable with people, giving people my time because I felt like I couldn't set boundaries. Yeah, I couldn't be like that's actually, been a huge growth thing. I yes, mean, with this, oh totally boundaries. Boundaries. We could do a whole. Ten whole, part yeah. episode. On. Ten part <laughs> episode. Okay. But there are other podcasts that I've listened to on boundaries, yeah. and I've just learned so much about them. But the Absolutely. main the main takeaway is I used to not have the like ability or empowerment that I needed to realize. Oh, to I can set, set your boundaries, boundaries. And, then, and then you become a victim. Yeah. Because 
everyone. And then every relationship becomes unhealthy. Yes, exactly. Friendships. You know? Yeah. Yeah, everything. If you it's, don't have your, your boundaries. Yeah. And But you, in this, in program, I learned by seeing, you know, my sponsor set boundaries with me and, and experiencing someone setting boundaries in a healthy way mm-hmm. that I don't take personally. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can do this to yeah. someone else. I can set a boundary to someone else and have the expectation that they will understand. Yeah. And having boundaries isn't offensive. You know, like right. how when your it's not mean. sponsor was saying, yeah, it's not mean. It's like actually makes communicating a lot easier. So much easier. It's like, oh, you don't have to ask yourself, like, am I saying too much? Am I saying too little? Am I doing this wrong? It's like, no, you know the boundaries. Exactly. And ugh, there's so much that I, w- I want to talk about just on this topic. But I do want to just mention there's this book that I read that I don't think anyone should read because it is very dense and hard to read. Mm-hmm. Good warning. <laughs> Called Drama of the Gifted Child. Uh-huh. And in that book, I mean, it's genius. Um, this psychologist, she talks about, like, her clients who, like, basically have this, like, unplaceable depression. Yeah. And, um, and kind of talk about their childhood trauma and, like, laugh. And she just finds it, like, so disturbing. And she talks about this word cathexis. Uh-huh. And I think everyone should know the word cathexis. Uh-huh. I feel like we should pull up the exact definition of cathexis. Cathexis. C-A-T-H-E-X-I-S. Cathexis. I don't know why it's such a hard word for such a simple concept, but basically it's, like, attaching to something. And mm-hmm. when you're a baby, you cathect with your mother. You you know, you... Yeah. And that's healthy cathexis. Yeah. But if at that age you don't have healthy cathexis, like mm-hmm. your mother is unavailable mm. or one of your parents is unavailable for you to attach with, you will attach with something else. Maybe like a blankie, you know, mm-hmm. or like a imaginary friend, you know, like you will attach to something. Yeah. And then throughout your life, you will continue to cathect with things mm-hmm. and think it is love. Mm-hmm. But you that is not love. That is attachment. Yeah. Love is reciprocal. Yeah. You know? It's mutual. Yeah. Anyways, that book really showed me how, like, I, this made me think of the boundaries thing. Mm-hmm. Just, like, that if you don't, if you, from a young age, like, the specific, I'm sorry, let me. If your parent is a narcissist, for example, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what this book is about. It's like if one parent is a narcissist mm-hmm. and emotionally unavailable and like your emotions, they take your emotions personally, you know, then yep. you will realize very early that it's unsafe to have emotions and that, you know. Yeah, because you don't want to hurt your parent. You don't want to hurt your parent. To get your parents love, you need to. You know, be what they want you to be, not yeah. what you are, yeah. not who you are. And and that is the source of this unplaceable depression that people have. Yeah. Is this total alienation from their emotions mm-hmm. that they, which is a mechanism that they began doing before they could even fucking talk. Yeah. You know, of just mm-hmm. like, how can I be loved? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I annihilate these feelings mm-hmm. and how can I be better? And, and one of the big things is, oh, I can't set boundaries. Like, I have to please people. Like, if I set boundaries, they'll be mad. Yeah. And if they're mad, then no one loves me. And it's just like, no. Because that's what you were taught as, as a child by your Yeah. Parents. Wordlessly, you yeah. were taught. Mm-hmm. You can't set boundaries. Yeah. Or people will be mad. But it turns out we can reparent ourselves. We can reparent. And we can set boundaries. Yes. And your life is so much better because you do. It's right. It's right. And it's uncomfortable. It's hard. You will cry. But, like, crying will not kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, remember that time? And this was around the time that you, I feel like, were, like, researching about SLAA. I'm not sure if you were going to meetings yet. But remember when we went to Connecticut last year? And basically, like, we were in Connecticut together. And then, like, we went back to the city to, like, get more stuff. And then, like, I was going to come back with you to Connecticut. Yeah. And then you were like... What did you say? You were you were just like I don't like I don't know if you should come to Connecticut. Yeah, like and this was I just so like, hard for me to say because I want to always do what the other person wants and is expecting me to do. Yeah. yeah, and like and you were like I just and I was like why you know and you were like I just 
I have a lot of things like I want to do. I want to be productive. I want to be by myself. Like I don't want to be like having to do things like all the time. And like you just were very clear about what you wanted. And I was like, I totally understand. Um, that totally makes sense. I could come to Connecticut <laughs> <laughs> and give you all those things. Right. Right. <laughs> and you can, and you know, and I still, I ended up going to, and you were like, okay, like, but because you voiced those boundaries that we were setting ahead of, of Connecticut. Yeah. We went to Connecticut and we're so independent and like doing our own thing. That's and like, right. I wasn't even expecting to have a single meal with you. I wasn't expecting you to do a single activity with me. And then like when we decided to hang out, we did. And when we didn't, we were pretty much on our own. That's right. That's right. And it ended up being great, no? Yes, 100%. And I didn't end up like resenting you because resent the resentment would have come from me not saying what I needed. Right. And just stomaching. Yeah. You know. Like the source of it. Like whether it was you just t- telling me to come without telling me. Whether you just saying right. don't come without telling me why. Right. It's like you had to fully communicate. Right. I Yes. Those exactly. boundaries. Exactly. And, and it allowed me to like be there, give myself what I needed so that I had the energy to then be present for you. Mm-hmm. But like had I not said anything, I would have just been like me draining myself of energy I didn't even have. Yeah. And, and like, you don't I want that. <laughs> I didn't need any of that. Right. Right. I was happy. I just wanted to come to Connecticut. Right. I didn't need to hang out with you 24-7. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? And hats off to you for, like, being (laughs) healthy and well-adjusted enough and mature enough to, like, hear that, not take it personally. Like, yeah. I was not offended at all. I know. And and the sad thing is I feel like a lot of people don't even have friends Mm -hmm. that they can expect a healthy response from. Yeah. So you think – Walking on eggshells. And you think that's going to be everyone. Mm-hmm. You think, well, if this one person took what I said personally, then I need to expect everyone to take my feelings personally. But it's the total opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. And you didn't take it personally at all. No, and we had and a way better time me, because of it. Like, oh, I can trust people. Right. Like, that's the thing. Give people a chance. Yeah. Trust people to understand and I think this is a big thing that you talk about since joining SLAA is keeping your side of the street clean that's right and I feel like you telling me what you were concerned about and what you wanted and like why you were having hesitations like you giving me all that information was you keeping your side of the street clean right and then whatever I do it doesn't matter because all you have control over is keeping your side of the street clean that's right that's right Shall we close with the serenity prayer? Yes. Because I think that's a a serenity prayer speaks to exactly that. I love that. Goddess. Grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. The courage to change the things we can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. Come on over to my side of the street. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking. (laughs) See y'all next time. Peace.